Morning, everybody. Good to see you. At this time in the service, I'd like to invite you to consider the gospel, appoint you to Christ as best I can through the scriptures. And um, my prayer, you know, ultimately every Sunday is that we could center our lives more and more around Jesus, around the message of the gospel, because Jesus is the greatest blessing. He's the greatest blessing that the world has ever seen. And I, uh, I think the more we center our lives around it and the gospel and him, the more of a blessing we'll become for the world around us. And I think that's what we're doing here. And so I'd just like to uh, give you a chance to take a deep breath. Here's some thoughts and challenges that I prepared for you. Um, and as a community, we've been studying sections of what's called the Sermon on the Mount for, the, for this summer. And the section that we're in is called the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. But every week we've studied the Lord's Prayer, you may have noticed there's been just a knee-jerk reaction to pray more and do like group prayer and do more prayer things here. Because if you've been coming to Crossroads for any length of time, you'll know that this group is not very good at talking about something that we can do and not just doing it. I mean, it was excruciating last summer to talk about feasts and meals with Jesus. And at the end of the summer, it was like, okay, we're doing two Sundays in a row of just eating together. We can't take it anymore. We have to eat. Who does two Sundays in a row? One, you know, nor I can see a church be like, we'll take one Sunday, two in a row. It's because it was pent up, the meals with Jesus, right? And so I want to call uh, an audible and have a time of prayer today. So if you have something on your heart or a burden or something that, you've, that you're carrying this morning, I want you to know that you're a part of a place where you can come and receive prayer. It's a dying expectation in our culture that someone could come to a church and receive prayer. A few weeks ago, a guy came into our offices with just hands up and just declared to everybody, I need someone to pray for me. I love that. There's nothing I would have rather done than just get a group of people around that person and pray for them. I'd hate for you to come out here and let's just talk about prayer, talk about the Lord's prayer, talk about prayer, and, and not have a chance to be prayed for especially if you're carrying something heavy on your heart. So let me just, as you think about that, in a couple minutes, I will unleash us all to pray for each other, but um, just let me give you a word of encouragement on prayer in general. It's a near and dear topic to my heart. Um, I spent five years of my life living at what we, we would call an urban monastery here in town, a, a house of prayer, a place where we would facilitate daily prayer vigils, and we would facilitate sometimes 24 hours a, a, a day of prayer. Crossroads started this place, and we as a church, if you remember back then, at one point we prayed for six months straight with unbroken prayer. Uh, this place was a resource center for the poor, and in my time there, I did constantly ask myself, what is prayer? What is this thing? And I experienced a lot of different kinds of prayer. You, you had times where people would be praying uh, through art. 
through writing, through painting, through singing songs. You had times where people would uh, lead in just silence and meditation. You had times where we would pray out the scriptures and Bible verses that were on our hearts, um, doing things like Lectio Divina or other really thoughtful liturgy that was written to pray together. But all of these things are forms of prayer, but they're not prayer So what is prayer? And I decided uh, a long time ago to keep the definition of prayer as simple as possible so that that leaves room for much more uh, prayer to be there. Okay, so to me, if I had to define it, I would say prayer is simply lifting your heart and mind to God. Prayer is lifting your heart and mind to God. It's no less than that. It's much more than that, but uh, it's, it's full of all kinds of, options and expressions and, ab- and abilities to do that. And I, and I say all that because I, I know how easy it is to grow up in a certain tradition and a rhythm and, and a way of praying that uh, it's easy to, to talk about prayer and critique or judge other people's way of praying. And why do I bring that up? Because this causes massive insecurity in a lot of people. I would never want to do this because I can't think of a more intimate place in my heart than this thing called prayer, a more invasive, maybe be a better word. I mean, think about this. Anywhere that I am in the universe, from the depths of the ocean to if I'm in a SpaceX thing someday, I could just think and God could hear me. God can know inside of my heart what I'm feeling, in my soul what I'm thirsty for, what I'm hungry, in my brain what I'm thinking. That, that place is the most private place that I can uh, imagine, and God is able to enter into that. Heaven forbid I ever give someone an insecurity, because once that starts to grow in that place, where are you free from it? Where are you able to be safe with God? Where are you able to say, you know, I don't know what to say, but here's, here's my heart right now. God wants us to know, I mean, even in Romans chapter 8, when we don't know how, we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groans that words cannot express, because sometimes there isn't a good word, there isn't a good liturgy, there isn't a way to do it. I don't want anybody to feel insecure about praying for each other. I want you to know that prayer is one of the greatest and most powerful gifts that we could have. All of prayer, though, is is, um, resting on an underlying assumption, which is that God is listening, that God cares. I mean, I speak of this great equalizer of all men. Anybody, you don't have to be rich, you, can, you don't have to be uh, royalty, you can pray, and the king of the universe is listening to you. How do I justify this? I read the Bible, and that's pretty much one of the main messages of the Bible, is that God cares about what you say. You know, the very beginning of the Bible, there's a story, a a depiction of God as the creator of the universe, the source of everything that's living, and it's done through validating the voice. It's done. He speaks in, and things happen with great authority and poise. He orders the universe and brings harmony to chaos, and it's really good. He, He forms a man, breathes the breath of life, and what does he do? Brings him an animal, 
and he says, whatever you, wherever you call it, that's what it's going to be. Speak up. Say something. Tell me. Tell me. What is this called? I, whatever the man said, so it was. The authority almost, the validation that was just there it, it, it describing the divine is now placed as a responsibility and a gift onto the man. Speak, and it matters. I care about what you say. God's very near to his people, very near to humans. I mean, a few chapters later, there's a woman who's barren, and through an angel, God says that she will one day bear a child, and she laughs. God knows not only, he, not only to hear the laugh, he understood the pain behind the laugh. He understood the longing that was behind the laugh. He understood and, and heard and was present in the pain that she had wanting to have a child, but it's been so long that it's almost a joke to her. Abraham at one point had like an ethical concern about God's judgment and just wanted to bring it up and God heard him. Hagar, this woman is out in the wilderness ready to die. And this is kind of crazy. Genesis 16, God has a conversation with her and allows her to name him. She speaks out an articulation, like a proper noun. I mean, she, she talks of him and gives him a name. You are the God who sees me, El Roi. And he accepts that, that spoken word from this woman. He, you've got Moses keeping God accountable when God is saying, you know what, I forget, forget everything I said. I, I don't like you guys anymore. And Moses is like, no. What's everybody going to think? They're going to think that you're not honest. You've got to stick to your plan here. The prophets facilitate this call and response publicly and privately with kings and nations and people that they're speaking and God's listening and, and, and he wants to speak back. We're given 150 psalms. Speak, pray, sing, write these poems in the middle of our Bible teaching us how to say things to God, validating almost every emotion that I can think of. We're given the lamentations, the hard, gritty prayers of people who have been devastated. Jesus even calls us to speak up. If you got something on your heart, he says, if there's a mountain in front of you, if you've got a little bit of faith, that mountain will move at your word. Speak up. Lift your heart and mind to the Lord. Cast your anxieties upon him. Bring your burdens before him. Rejoice, for the Lord is near, Philippians uh, 4, 7 says. Are we a praying church? You don't have to be educated. You don't have to have uh, a perfect mindset to be able to do this. You, you can lift your heart and mind to God. What would be encouraging right now is even just to know, I mean, is anybody by show of hands praying for someone to receive Jesus into their life right now? How encouraging is that? Is anybody praying right now for a mountain to move in your life? There's something that you're just really hoping to happen and you're bringing that before the Lord. Anybody praying for your pastor? Hang on one second. I just want to check. <laughs> Bonuses are going out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
So remember I said I want, I want you guys to pray for each other. I just want to encourage you that God cares about what you say. And we're here together for a reason. And so um, if there was a word that you could put to your heart, to something that you're struggling with or burdened by right now, what would it be? There's a word on your heart. If you could just say, I mean, in a word, is it health? Is it family? Is it your marriage? Is it your workplace? Is it fear? What are you carrying in your heart? Is it resentment? Do you need to ask for forgiveness? Is the word sin? What is the word that you would say right now I'm carrying and I want to, I need prayer for this? So here's the audible. For a few minutes, let's just pause the message and let's pray for each other. And right now I'd like to ask you, if you're feeling it right now that you need prayer for something, and it could be anything, nothing too small for God, nothing too great for God, then just one by one, why don't you just stand up and then the, person, the people that are around you are gonna stand with you. If you need prayer, stand up. Matt's gonna break the silence maybe with his guitar. <laughs> I'd hate to at least not give you the chance to stand and receive a word of prayer if you were here. You know, I've had people say to me before, I came and was prayed for by this church and it meant a lot for me. If you, uh, if you don't, if there's nobody that needs prayer, uh, then we can move on. Anybody? Anybody? Here we go. What's that? Yeah, yeah, okay, so everybody stand around the people who are standing. Come around them. If you see somebody stand up, and let's take a, a few minutes and just pray for that person um, that's nearby. If you see somebody who's standing, lift your heart and mind towards them and pray for them. Let's just take a few moments and uh, be the church to one another. prayer on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debts. Lead us not to temptation deliver us from the evil. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you to everybody who is willing to stand and pray for uh, your community. I know that might have been stretching for some of you. Um, but just be thankful you're not in the young adult ministry because sometimes we crowd surf uh, for prayer time because you just got to sometimes lift people up. You just lift them up. Uh, to the Lord, and that, for some of you, would have been very stretching, I'm sure, but maybe not. Maybe it would have brought you back to the good old days. Um, you know, yeah, if you, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, or if you don't have a Bible, we have some in, in various locations here hidden in the room on tables. Not, no rhyme or reason to that. Of course, Crossroads isn't going to make it easy for you to, to get the Bible like other churches who just put it in the back of the seat in front of you. We have them <laughs> at random locations around the room. Find yourself a Bible if you'd like. I, I'm going to really only be talking about one line as I have been assigned verse 12, which is uh, right in the middle of the prayer here. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the only line that has uh, horizontal movement to it, something that's uh, involving somebody... Uh, 
else, you know, and so this is a very important line, I think, um, as I've been thinking about it this week. Forgive us our debts. The first thing I think about when I see the word debt, probably could guess, is debt. Uh, this is a this is a ver- this is a version that's uh, very uh, helpful to an American uh, because there's so much debt. There's so much possibility for debt in our culture. You know, mortgages, student loans, all kind. Have you ever heard of the organization called um, RIP Medical Debt? I really. I've been into this group lately because they basically will rally around, uh, rally up some people to get like $5,000 together or whatever and then you, and broker a deal to purchase people's medical debt because you can purchase it on pennies on the dollar. So that $5,000 could get like $20,000, $30,000 worth of medical debt. And then once they buy it, they just hit delete. And they send a letter to somebody and they say, hey, some people came together and paid for your debt. You are now free. You, you, you now no longer have any of that medical debt burden weighing over your shoulders. And I love this example because, I mean, wouldn't it just be amazing to get that letter in the mail? All of a sudden, you're going about your day. I'm going to make my money. And then all of a sudden, you see it's like you've been set free from this debt. I, we got to figure out a way. I've been scheming with Jeremiah to maybe get involved with this ministry somehow because that is such a cool feeling. Now, Jesus is not teaching us to pray daily to, for him to forgive our financial debt. And you know how I know that? Because if there was a prayer like that in the Bible and it actually worked, there'd be a lot more Christians in America than, than there are. I mean, <laughs> give me a break. But it is uh, there for a reason to connect us to sin. And I think I've, the very just first thought I have here is, is if you feel less, if you feel like, once I say this is to do with sin and not financial debt, and you feel like it's less important of a verse, then now we have some idle work to do, to, to do in our hearts. If, if I tell you that this is about a debt of sin and not a debt of finances, and you're like, well, okay, that's not that big of a deal anymore. Uh, then what's really going on with our understanding of sin and and relational debt and the things that we actually need to ask for forgiveness for? And one of the first things I'm thinking about, too, is is how does forgiveness really even work? I mean, how many times you got to ask for forgiveness? Do I have to to pray this prayer every day for God to forgive me? I mean, did he forgive me or not? How many times do I need to, you know, like, is it just a, 24-hour period of forgiveness, or how does that work? So uh, one of the things to consider is that there's simultaneous true realities going on with the category of forgiveness. One would be, when you pray for forgiveness, a work has been done. It is finished. There is a word that has been spoken over you as you've asked for forgiveness, and that word is, you are free. Your debt has been paid. You are now in this family. You are forgiven. That's not going to change. That's not going to change if you said a bad word or you did something wrong or, or you weren't thinking the right thing or had a bad day or something. That word has been spoken over you. You've been brought into the family of God. You are forgiven. Jesus did pay it all. I used to think that, you know, you had to keep just checking in every once in a while and pray the Lord, the sinner's prayer, you know, just in case, you know, 
So it's good news for me to hear that I think that he brings you into the family and he calls it a family for a reason. It's kind of hard to unfamily yourself from something, you know? I mean, you can try, you can pretend, you can emancipate, but you still, it's, it's, a, it's a fact of your life. You're in the family. Now, the, the, the more complex reality, though, is not that that word is spoken over you. Yes and amen to that. But once you are brought into this family, the, 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 the devastation that you could cause to your family members or to your relationship with God is very great because you have been brought so close. Think about it. Have you ever, you know, you ever tied to a, a couple who has struggled with infidelity and then they've been reconciled? It's not like you just ask for forgiveness once. There's just an ongoing tenor from then on to say, forgive me, I'm sorry, forgive me, I love you so much and I want you to know how much I love you uh, by continuing to, to seek out reconciliation and forgiveness. Anybody that you're close to, if you know that you've hurt them and you care about it, you continue to ask for them to forgive you and continue to grow in that relationship because if you don't, this is where you're gonna start seeing a deterioration in your, in your closeness, your intimacy. So have you asked for forgiveness from anyone recently? Have you asked God for forgiveness? And I say that because I wonder if someone who doesn't ask for forgiveness on a regular basis, start how, how your relationship with God feels. If we don't ask for forgiveness, oftentimes this is because there's some work inside of us that need to be done with regard to pride. Oftentimes we don't ask for forgiveness because of prideful tendencies. There's a venom inside of us. And you know what is hard to figure out when it comes to pride is that we'll start to distort your reality, your narrative. It'll start to distort how you view yourself, how you view your argument. I've had so many arguments because of pride, I am arguing for the littlest <laughs> to be a little bit right. When I'm 100% wrong, but maybe 99.9% wrong, and I will argue for the little percent that I'm right. Have you ever, have you ever seen this done when it's like um, somebody calls you out on something and says you always do that, but you say, not of course I do that, it's I don't always do that. It's like, <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, can we get back to reality here and just acknowledge that there's something to be talked about here? Um, and so I wonder if, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this, this state of, you know, prideful narrative and says that it starts to cause everybody to seem a little more vague. Your relationship uh, is vague. You have a vague sense of guilt Maybe you come to church and, and you vaguely connect with the message and it's sort of in a general way something that, you know, uh, you've struggled with maybe. Good, good example would be if your relationship with somebody, you think you're close but you're full of pride, they're, they're going to start to feel a little distant from you. You're going to start to act like um, you're the, the person who's always the, the or often the winner, uh, the, the Messiah, the champion, the person who's always right, the hero of all your stories. Nothing that you've ever done is really that bad. This vagueness will start to overwhelm and overcome the relationship. 
And the only way out of this is humility. This is in the center of this prayer, a prayer of humility that says, forgive us. Would you be characterized more so in your prayer life as humble or prideful? Forgive me. Is a very humbling reality to know that Jesus did not vaguely die for your sin. He did not vaguely receive a crown of thorns on his head for you because of his passion and desire to be nearer and nearer to you. He dealt with that sin and he wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to free you from that. And the first step towards that is kneeling down in humility and saying, ah, forgive me. I care about our relationship so much that I want to ask for forgiveness. King David taught us this prayer in Psalm 139, verse 23. Search my heart. Tell me, am I, is there any offensive way inside of me? Lead me into the ways of eternity. Lord, search me. Tell me. Come to the Lord and say, I am so prideful. Sometimes I think I'm amazing. And just tell me, is there anything in between us that could be hurting our relationship? And ask for forgiveness. Sometimes we don't ask for forgiveness for pride, but sometimes we don't ask for forgiveness because we don't think we can get it. This one's a, a, a part of my own life as well as the prideful part. It's, it's like sometimes I just resign the way I am. This is the way I am. I can't be freed from this. You know, haven't you seen my Enneagram number? You go to this and unhealth, and that's just part of it. That's how I'm supposed to do. A 13 goes to a four or whatever, and it's like this is... This is how I am. It's, I'm sorry. It's just part of me. And so, you know, we're just going to have to deal with it. This is how God made me. I'm the way, I'm them this way. And so uh, I can't be, why would I ask for forgiveness? I just have a propensity to do this. You know what? Um, sometimes in this scenario, it's easy to seek for an excuse to excuse, that's what, that's what that sounds like, to excuse a sin uh, rather than to ask for forgiveness. And those two things couldn't, I think, be farther apart. If you ask God for forgiveness, it's, I did something wrong, and I need you to, to forgive me. I need you to bear that burden for me, and I am asking for forgiveness. But then asking for an excuse would be, I did something wrong, and... I'm asking you to pretend like it wasn't that bad, or I'm asking you to, under, to, to slide it under the rug, or ask you to change the, the, if it was that big of a deal, or I'm asking you to excuse it. And those two things can be, yeah, you can sound like it's similar, but it's not. It, asking God to excuse sin leaves us in a place of bondage. If you don't think that you can be forgiven, then you're probably carrying around a wound you're probably carrying around something that hasn't been healed, and it's an open sore. You probably know what I'm talking about. And what does forgiveness look like? For this person, it looks like, I think it looks like Jesus. You know, when he was resurrected from the dead, he came to his disciples, and he did not come to them and say, hey, could you guys look at my elbow. It's a great elbow. I can't believe I, I got out without hurting my elbow. This whole, per <laughs> he came to them and said, look at my scar. It's healed. 
I think a lot of times we want to use our testimony and say, look at something that isn't the painful part of my story. Look at something else that, you know, I'm, I'm strong at. I'm something else that I'm good at. But we don't actually have uh, that great of a testimony if there isn't anything that's been healed or been redeemed. I think that the very place where the nail went in his hand, the very place that once held him down, that's no longer holding him down, but it's been healed, is the very place where the power of God is most clearly shown. It's only a matter of time. Once you take a step towards God and ask for forgiveness, he will take, that is the first step towards healing. And that's the first place where the power of God is gonna be revealed in your story and in your life, where you will one day be able to say, look, I've been healed from something. Look, I once was held down by that. I once was wounded by that. I once was dead. But the resurrection power, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is here healing me and in my story. This is what's on the table for us when we ask for forgiveness. Don't settle for an excuse. Search, uh, seek God and ask him to heal you and move you forwards uh, away from this place of open wounds. Oh, something I was just thinking about about that first line. Forgive us our debts. You need to ask for forgiveness, in short. Is there anybody in here that needs to ask for forgiveness from God, forgiveness from somebody else? Most of the time, the Christian sermon will end sort of at that point where you come to grips with the individual, you know, the, the moment of the individual seeing I have a sin and I need forgiveness for it and praise Jesus, that's there for me. Uh, but this is a very cool part of this line. It moves outside of the individual and into um, the community. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The second line of this portion of the prayer is so beautiful. As we have forgiven our debtors. Now you might be thinking, okay, I'd rather focus on the first part. I have a lot of work I need to do in getting forgiven. Um, it's not that big of a deal for me to forgive somebody else. You know, I mean, it's great if I forgive somebody else, but it's not really that. It's not really my job. I'm not Jesus. I mean, Jesus forgives people, and he'll do that if they ask for it. And all. What do I have to do with forgiving somebody? Well, if you're kind of in that space, I would like you to draw your eyes, if you have your Bible open still, just to three verses after this, to verse 14 and 15. Jesus says in verse 14 and 15, for if we forgive the sins of others, God will forgive our sin. Verse 15, but if we do not forgive the sins of others, God will not forgive our sin. Obviously, this, I hope this is obvious, sorry. It's, this is not a magic trick. Like if you forgive someone, you get a credit. Um, <laughs> God, didn't you see I forgive five people today? Um, no, 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 this is a fact. This is a statement about forgiven people. Forgive. Forgiven people have a heart to forgive. So if this wasn't that big of a deal five seconds ago, I'd like to just point out that I, can't, I don't think I can overstate the importance of forgiving others. I think that this is actually just the whole walk. I mean, the, the main important part of our walk as Christians is to live out this message of forgiveness. 
And you might say, you know what, Dan, I don't even know where to start with all that. I'm just not very good at forgiving uh, people. And so maybe, where do I start? <laughs> well, here's my advice. And uh, this is just sort of a take it or leave it thing. But I would advise, if you're not very good at forgiving people, to start with people who didn't even do anything wrong against you. They're just really annoying. <laughs> it's not even a real sin. Just think of the most annoying person in your life. And let's start practicing. Who is it? Supervisor? In-laws? New person at work? Person who got the promotion? Person who's slowing you down in traffic? Is it... That person on the internet or whatever that's constantly showing you pictures of their baby or what is it? Like, <laughs> if we can't start, these are not real sin. This is not, I need to forgive them of that. This is, I don't know why I'm so annoyed by this person. And if we can't challenge ourselves to figure out a way to dig deep in our hearts and forgive something that's not even a real, like, sin against you, we're never going to be able to get in the game when it matters. Devil knows that you, if you're not faithful with the little things, that you're not going to be faithful with the big things. He does not want you. He does not want you to plan and practice and try and help somebody uh, to know that you have grace for them, even if they don't deserve it. A lot of people in our culture are going to give you permission to withhold small amounts of forgiveness. A lot of people in our world rally around this um, unforgiveness thing. It's a small way of holding power over somebody uh, who might have power over you is to, hold, to build up resentment and to build up against them a case that uh, they've wronged you and then to hold that. And there are many people probably in your workplace who are going to be... Uh, right next to you and say, man, I can't believe he did that to you. He always does that. This person isn't worth our time. And it feels good. It feels like you're actually getting, you know, common enemy. It feels like you're sticking up for yourself. It feels like you're the underdog and all this. But this is anti-Christ. Trying to use strong language to communicate how big of a deal I think this is. Withholding forgiveness from someone is anti-Christ. It's anti the message of Christ. Christ did not die for 99% of sins, and 1% he allows you to just do whatever you want with and punish this person at your leisure. He, he died for 100%. He paid 100% for the sin. And we need to practice and start to figure out how can I communicate that to the people who are around me. We use an excuse sometimes like, oh, you know, I'm supposed to love my enemies, but I don't really have that many enemies. But going back to what I was just saying, you might not have an enemy, but you do have somebody that annoys you. And so let's start practicing there. I, I always like to think, you know, as I'm thinking this week of like the crazy stories of forgiveness. Um, and I like to think that I actually would be one of those one day. <laughs> like there are people in our church who have been abducted and sexually abused, but who have prayed for that person to receive Jesus. And there's a great story of forgiveness there. Did you watch the movie Unbroken, where the guy who was, a, you know, a prisoner of war was able to forgive the person in World War II, you know, who uh, tortured him? Have you, uh, have you ever heard of these stories of people where a loved one dies and the family comes around the person, the, the, con, the person who killed them and, and forgives them? I mean, this is like, this is when it counts. 
We're moving into a territory of this is a really big deal and the world's watching, the spotlight's on you and, and are you gonna be for Christ? Are you gonna be somebody that speaks the, the message of the gospel or not? We have to be faithful with little. I mean, I, I, don't, I know I like to think highly of myself, but then again, for some reason I'm suspicious of people who don't like baseball and I start to think, I really don't like that person. I don't know why. Like what... They just might be a Russian spy or something, and I just had to protect myself from that. I start to think that, all, you know, all these petty reasons to where I can withhold something from somebody and withhold forgiveness or whatever it is from someone, and I think that somehow, magically, when it counts, I'm going to be ready. This is the walk of the Christian, to enter into all of these decisions that we have and to be an ambassador of Christ. Debating about bringing this up or not, so. Uh, I'm not trying to make any enemies here. I'm just trying to make a cultural comment. If any of you have ever texted me, for example, you probably know my philosophy of texting is use emojis and words when necessary. Just use pictures. And, and the reason for that is sometimes I'm just terrified to put words out there because of the pejorative nature of words in our uh, society right now. Online, I mean, social media, Twitter, Facebook, all this stuff, there's so many words that have been designed to cut and to hurt and to critique. And I'm not against critique, I'm against hatred that's behind a lot of the words that we write and put out there for the world to see. And I wonder, um, I wonder what's really going on with that. I mean, sometimes I hear people say, I'm just uh, speaking the truth in love here and then put it out. And I'm, I'm speaking as a prophet. I believe as a prophet, this is, uh, this is the speaking truth to power moment, you know. I, meanwhile, I'm thinking the, the power doesn't have a Facebook account. You're speaking to me. <laughs> You're speaking to the people that are around you. And, and I wonder if we are obligated to actually nuance or adjust the things that we're saying to leave room for the gospel to be there, especially if it's a critique of an individual. There's so much condemnation and damnation that's spoken or written online towards individuals as if our battle is against flesh and blood. If you want to be a prophet, go and learn what this means. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And the testimony of Jesus is that he has provided forgiveness for sins, for people who did not deserve it. While we were yet sinners, he gave his life for us, making a place for, while we were yet sinners, he made an option for no more condemnation. While we were yet sinners, the one who was righteous died for the unrighteous. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could be free and have righteousness and get a second chance. That's our message. Weave that into your critique somehow. Prophesy. Tell me my future. 
Tell me that there's a grace for me in the future even though I have issues. Tell me that, that Christ wins over the, the uh, injustice and the evil and the abuse of power and the abuse of sex in this country. Tell me that Christ is able to come in and, and, and change the way uh, this world is working for, uh, for peace and for restoration. Be a prophet for these words. This is our message. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I know I say, say this all the time. We are ambassadors of a, of a message of reconciliation. Verse 19 is so important to me here. That message is that in Christ, God is not holding sin against the world anymore. I'm not drawing lines in the sand here too deep, am I? I mean, are we obligated to be people who are fluent in that conversation, fluently able to tell somebody, God is, you have an option here for redemption and hope and forgiveness. It starts with the small things, but trust me, you will be given a chance to do something big. But it starts by us praying the prayer. Forgive us, be humble, have faith, believe that he can forgive you as we forgive our debtors. Second moment to pray. And uh, I'd like to give you just a minute of silence to ask yourself, do I need to ask for forgiveness? And is there anybody that I need to forgive? Uh, who need forgiveness and healing? Father, do what you've been doing for thousands of years and come and heal us. Set us free from our wounds and give us a testimony that we're able to point to and say, look at the resurrection power in my life. It's coming to my mind right now the story of uh, Saul, who would one day be restored and redeemed and called Paul. He saw you, he heard you, and was blinded on the road to Damascus, but he didn't see. He didn't really see until Ananias reached out and touched his shoulder and said, Brother Saul, reaching out and touching the shoulder was this moment of great forgiveness, and, saw, and, and, and scales fell from his eyes. He's, in a way, now was, was seeing the gospel for the first time. Help us to embody the gospel in the way we reach out to people who have harmed us or wronged us in ways uh, and forgive. Brother Saul, if there's any of us who feel like I'm not gonna forgive until I feel like I should forgive. Help us to realize that you've granted forgiveness. You grant forgiveness long before it's felt. And that help us to just carry with us the word of the gospel that there is forgiveness for anybody um, who's willing to come to, to the cross. We thank you for this work, Jesus. Amen.